Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Clint. All of you who are so faithful in uh, downloading these or taking some time to watch our vlogs, we really appreciate um, all the, the commitment that you have to the issues here in the Commonwealth. Uh, now, today's podcast is going to be a little bit different because it's called Conversations with Clint, but I don't have anybody lined up to do a conversation with Clint today. So I thought it would be uh, kind of, a, I guess, maybe a normal podcast, right, when when the host just talks a little bit. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, those of you who watch our daily updates or when we were doing the daily updates there with the COVID-19 stuff, um, it's not abnormal to see me sit down behind a camera and talk for five or ten minutes. So that's what I'm going to do here today uh, for my podcast. Um, hopefully you find it informational and helpful uh, for uh, what we're dealing with and what we worked on this week here in the Commonwealth. So going to tackle election reform, House Resolution 836, the school issues that we worked on here in the House of Representatives this week, as well as a new bill that I am working on that hopefully we can get introduced um, later this week or early next week. So election reform was something that we were working on this week. And a lot of people are asking, hey, why in the world are you guys doing election reform right before an election? Well, we took on election reform earlier in this session and uh, we, we worked on that. We did find, though, in the midst of the primary back in uh, November, back in uh, the spring, um, which ended up being in June, um, some issues with this, some of the changes that we made, very practical things that needed to be fixed, um, some, some issues for, on security to make sure that, that our, our elections coming up here, because it's a big deal. We're talking about a presidential election. Um, we need to make sure that it's secure and that people have um, really great options and ways to vote um, and to make sure that their vote gets counted. Um, a lot of our government, uh, local government officials reached out and said, hey, they're, they're, here's what we saw. You guys really need to fix this. Otherwise, you know, the, the general election in November is going to be our train wreck. So we need to make sure that we, we fix those. So a couple things that we were working on this week. Now, the governor definitely wanted to go in one direction. Um, there are a number of people that wanted to go in another. So we're trying to come up with some sort of a compromise did the governor get everything that he wanted? Of course not. Did, did everybody on the other side get everything they wanted? Of course not. Um, I think that we took on and really fixed a number of the issues. Hopefully the governor will um, see this as a positive and, and if we can get this through to the Senate on his desk that he'll sign it. Um, we'll see. But uh, one, one of the issues was opening up the ballots. So there were so many mail-in ballots uh, this past uh, primary that they literally took T physically takes too long for our election officials to open them and get them scanned in on the day of election. So that's called canvassing when they open them up and get them processed. Uh, so knowing that mail-in is going to be a big, big thing and there's a big push for mail-in ballots going into November, we had to look at, uh, is that practical? Do we really want to wait three days after the election to be able to call Pennsylvania? Because we literally can't start opening up ballots till the day of election. So we tried to, to work through that and realize that there needs to be some flexibility with that. So we gave three days. Um, now the governor, of course, wanted more than that, but, but I, think, I think it's reasonable. I think we can get, get where we need to be. Another thing that we did was there's, there's a challenge in finding uh, poll workers that are from the exact precinct where the poll is at. So we made it uh, flexible uh, so that um, you don't necessarily have to live directly in the precinct uh, to be a poll worker. Uh, that would give some flexibility 
to our, our county officials as they're looking to make sure that they have plenty of poll workers to man the polls uh, going into the general election. Another issue that came up was the drop boxes. There we found some, some folks utilizing drop boxes. Uh, you know, ballot harvesting is not okay. Um, it's not legal. So um, they were, now there were some drop box issues. Now, listen, drop boxes uh, are, are hooked to the side of your house with mail-in ballots, or they're out on the front of your, by your driveway. So that's the drop box. The drop box is your mailbox, folks. It's very easy. You vote, they come with pre-postage, you drop it in there and it's good to go. Um, so that, that was something we worked on. You can also take it to, in this bill, we, we, we made it so that you could take it directly to the, the precinct where you're voting and give it to the election official that's there, or you can take it to the county courthouse. So there were a number of things that we worked on with this bill. Hopefully the governor will see this as a positive thing and go ahead and sign it once we get it through now the Senate. Like I said, this went over to the Senate and the Senate will be working in on this next week. House Resolution 836, this is the resolution that um, would have ended the emergency declaration. Um, and why this is so important, just this the other, the other night, the governor extended that um, under the dark of night, um, he extended that. Again, um, basically what this does is gives him and his administration exclusive power to um, continue the path that we're going here in this in the Commonwealth. And the disaster declaration has a place. I've said this several times. You know, at the beginning of this pandemic, and this is a pandemic, right? It, it, this the COVID nineteen is a real thing. Nobody's denying that. But at what point does it not become an emergency? At what point do do the House, the Senate, and the Governor start to work together? to make sure that we all have a voice at the table. I was on an interview today with CBS uh, down in the Harrisburg area, and I told them, I said, the hard part is, like, the governor hasn't been north of Route 80, right? The governor gave his legislative agenda that he wants to do. The governor has no idea and has not been up here talking to constituents like we have. We are the boots on the ground. We are here to represent are 60, 64, 5,000 plus people and, and, and to get a pulse on the community. And that's what we're doing. So um, I think that getting rid of this emergency declaration is so, so important. I voted you know, wholeheartedly to, to, to end this. I think that it's time for the, the legislature and the governor and for the governor to start listening to some of us in the, in the rural communities. That, that may have a different perspective and a few ideas. I'm gonna talk about that later um, with the new bill that we're doing. I, I think there's a better way. Um, this one size fits all approach is not working. It's killing our businesses and, and there's so much more that we need to do. So um, this was a, a veto override. If you remember the governor uh, vetoed this, um, we brought it up yesterday in the afternoon there to, to do an override and put people on the record. I said this earlier this week, hey, pull it up for a vote. You know, you know, people got to vote on this. Let people, let your constituents know where you're at. And um, there were a number of, uh, I was all, all the Republicans, I believe, um, voted uh, in favor to end this emergency declaration. And we had, uh, I'd have to look and see, there were, there were some Democrats that, that decided to um, to, to vote to end this emergency declaration, but we needed two thirds. 
to get the, the veto override. And uh, I believe it was 118 is what we, we had. We needed 136, I believe, for the override. So we were still quite a ways off. Um, we, we, it's laid back on the table. We can call, call that up anytime again. Um, but we need to, at the end of the day, I'm glad we called it up for a vote because people need to be on record of where they stand on this. Do they want to continue down this you know, executive rule by the governor? Or do they want to engage in the legislative process that our founding forefathers uh, established here in the Commonwealth and why it's so important? So we went ahead and, and worked on that uh, yesterday. Uh, it did not pass, but I want everybody to know we're continuing to, to talk about it, continuing to push for it in this podcast and, and, and vlog is just another way that we're doing that. School issues, uh, a lot of our schools are back in session. Uh, a lot of our kids are, are are either doing a hybrid model, full-time in the classroom, or uh, full-time remote. Uh, one of the issues that we were working on yesterday was whether or not a student can repeat a grade. Um, I think one, one of the issues with that is, you know, if, if there's a, a student that's really not adapting well to um, online education, and, uh, and that's their only option right now, and maybe that's gonna affect their grades and maybe their scholarship someday. What we're saying is, hey, this student could actually you know, redo that grade again if the parents so choose. Puts that power and that decision into uh, the parents' hands. Uh, so hopefully that student could maybe get um, a scholarship that they would have gotten had this COVID-19 stuff required that they learn from home. So um, it's a very, very good bill. Uh, Representative Topper was working on that. Another one was Representative Reese working on the PIAA uh, as far as uh, issues with sports and spectators. I think it was very ironic that a few hours before we voted on this bill, the governor, um, we got an email uh, from the administration saying that they've changed um, their stance on spectators and now they do see that oh, spectators are okay. However, what they did was they went ahead and changed and left it the same. So 25 people for inside, 250 people for outside. Well, that that's just, and, and, and it even says in there that um, the participants are part of the total number. Well, this again is just the governor saying, um, go ahead and do it, but here are some really crazy restrictions that basically make it so it's incredibly hard to do or virtually impossible to do, right? So that's what he, that's what he did with, with that. Um, I, I did speak on the floor about this yesterday. I was happy that the governor at least moved. I do think, like I said, it's ironic um, that it was right before we voted on it, but um, it's, we, we needed to keep it moving because what this bill would do is even in those numbers, school districts can say, hey, our venue, you know, our, our football stadium, we can do more than 250 people, social distance, that's what's important, right? And they could require masks. What I would love to see happen is um, you know, especially some of these, even, even a basketball game, right? You know, you get a huge gym. I'm not saying that you need to open this up for everybody to come, but maybe you give each of the kids four tickets, you know, four lanyards with a ticket on it, and maybe the parents can come, and then every other game, different grandparents can come, or aunts and uncles, or brothers, so, so you can mix it up. And you can socially distance. Um, you could require masks. You know, there's lots of things that you could do to allow spectators to to jump in, let mom and dad come in and, and watch, let grandpa and grandma watch the game. Um, and and I, one thing I did bring up, I had a, a constituent call me and uh, they, they shared that it was, you know, their their son has 
a medical condition that the mom and dad need to be present if there's an issue. Um, I'm not going to go into detail with that, but uh, that was a great concern. Like all of a sudden now are we not going to let that individual or should that individual, we're saying you shouldn't play because of a medical condition that only your parents know about and your only your parents, you know, can, can help you out with. And these are real legitimate concerns. So um, I think I think school districts need to have control over that. And I think that they can think through how to do it in a meaningful, safe way, um, realizing that each venue is different. And it's so important to, to realize that, that, that things are not the same all the way across the Commonwealth. So uh, I'm gonna kind of use that to, to talk a little bit now about something that I'm working on as far as uh, a bill for our restaurants. And one of the things that I've been hearing about, and, and really our restaurants, you know, here in the North, um, it's supposed to be down in the forties, like two nights from now, which is gonna be really cold. Um, but a number of restaurant owners are reaching out saying, hey, we've been doing outside dining, but guess what? Like it's gonna start to get cold up here and this isn't gonna work. And unless you guys change it to the 25% capacity, like it's over. It's gonna be over for a lot of our restaurants and our hospitality industry. So there's gotta be some give on this and you cannot treat a, all of the restaurants in the rural communities. I'll say Lawrenceville, Gilton, Wellsboro, Mansfield, Liberty, um, Troy, Canton. You can't treat all of these restaurants the same as a nightclub in Philadelphia or a hotspot. We have to look at this regionally. We have to look at this countywide and say, if there's a problem in Allegheny County, then Allegheny County can work on that problem. If there's an issue in Philadelphia or York or Scranton, work on it there. It doesn't mean that you have to punish the restaurant owners in the hospitality industry in Tioga County or Bradford County or Potter County. You don't need to do that. Um, so what, we're, what we are proposing, and we drafted a piece of legislation, um, and, and hopefully we'll get a bill number here shortly so you can advocate for us on this. But basically what we did, okay, so our school districts were given some criteria, right? Um, what type of education they should be providing based on community transmission. Um, and it's based on per 100,000. And it's really, it's, it's, it gave our school districts kind of a, a form, this is, this is what we're thinking from the, from the administration, okay? I get it. It's based on county transmission. Love it. County, it's not, we're not basing our education system on what's going on in Allegheny County. Well, then why can't we apply the same concept to our restaurants? That's what I'd like to know. So that's what this bill specifically does. It says, listen, it, and I literally took the same metrics that they used uh, for our schools, copied that over into an idea for restaurants, okay? So if we're in low transmission, then you are at 75% capacity. If you're at mid, then you are at 50% capacity. If you're at high community transmission, you are at 25% capacity. So it goes from 75, 50, 25. We also added in there that, hey, if you don't have any new cases in your county for two weeks, then you are 100% open. There has to be an end to this. And there are some counties that are that literally as far as active cases, and these are based on seven day numbers. So that have very, very few active cases will, would easily be able to be open at 75%. Number of them, you know, of the, this, of the counties that I serve. 
Um, and, and there are some, so it's based on transmission. That's what this whole thing should be based on anyways. Um, if you see an issue, if you see an uptick, then you, then, then you go down in, in capacity. If you see a downward trend in community transmission, then you can go up in capacity. And that's what, I hate to say it, but maybe that's just a little bit of common sense here, folks. And so I think it is so important to, to try and, and think differently of how we're going to do this. And that's what we're trying to do with this piece of legislation. We will see what happens. Now, I know a lot of our restaurants, what, what they would love to say, they, they don't like the, the capacity piece even just being part of it. It should be about social distancing. And I agree with that totally. Um, and, and if we can get there where it's all about, you know, creating social distancing uh, options and not so much about capacity, I can get there. But at this point, I feel like utilizing the transmission number and, and literally the chart that the governor has produced for our schools using that exa exact same metrics for our restaurants might just make sense and might be able to uh, at least give our restaurants the opportunity to succeed and end this summer and go into the fall in a place where they might just make it through next year. But I'm telling you right now, if our restaurants are held at in the northern part in our rural communities, if they are held at 25% capacity and they don't have any outside dining issues or opportunities, I'm telling you right now, they will not be open in the spring. There is no way they can make it. They have been struggling all year long. If we continue to strangle them through the, the fall here, they will not have the nest egg that they need to get through the winter and they will and they, their doors will not be open. Um, I can already tell you several restaurants in my district that the doors are closed right now. Um, so we have got to work on this. We have to take this seriously. The governor has been hands off on the, on the restaurant conversation completely, which is unacceptable. And he has to re-engage in that and get away from this one size fits all uh, approach to restaurants. So that's, that's it for today's podcast. Um, hopefully, um, you guys were, were, were finding this to be helpful. Hopefully um, you were able to uh, watch some of the videos that we posted this week. I appreciate my colleagues all working together uh, this week to try and bring some meaningful change here for the Commonwealth and make sure that we're, we're pulling in the same direction for the constituents you know, that we serve. And I want you to know that um, we'll continue to do that. We will definitely get you the information on our um, uh, bill that we just put out. Hopefully you can help us advocate for that, um, get that up for a vote. Uh, and maybe it'll be similar to the rest or the, the sports thing that all of a sudden we get a bill out there that we start to vote on and maybe the governor will erotically, you know, just, you know, all of a sudden <laughs> make the change. That's all right too. If that's what it takes governor, you know, we just got to get this done. We got, you got to realize that, that people are hurting People are hungry. People are having a hard time putting food on their tables and we have to do more. We have to do more. Um, and I realize that the virus is out there. We have learned so much about it. Um, we know where we're weak. We know where we're strong. Um, we know that the federal government is, is really coming close to a vaccine on this. Um, and, there's, and there's just so much that we need to be doing now to make sure that we are in a good spot uh, to make sure that the success of the Commonwealth and uh, is is attainable and, and it will actually be here for the next generation so that we can truly hand the next generation a better Pennsylvania. 
All right, that's it for today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you have a great weekend. And uh, we will definitely be in touch next week as we uh, get the information on that field for you. Have a great weekend.